Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Hello and a good evening to everyone. You are joined for Flower Hour, episode 5. I'm going to be joined by a fellow model, creative and um, an activist. We're going to be talking about things such as colonialism, imperialism, um, beauty standards and so much more. So this is just a conversation I'm very much looking forward to having. So let me just make sure that I'm going to send this through. Still discovering how to use this um, Instagram live. But yeah, I'm so happy that you're here joined. I think it's just going to be one of those worthwhile conversations that need to be had, you know? So um, yeah, I hope everyone's just looking forward to it. And hopefully she's locked in and she sees it. Let me send a message. And if also, if you've got questions, just come through and um, ask them because... I think it's really, really important for people to ask questions, most importantly. It helps share the discourse and so much more, you know? That's the most important thing. It's one of the biggest reasons why I do these lives. So I'm just going to let everyone just trickle in um, and just stay active. I hope everyone's safe with the whole corona going around. The country's getting back to normal. Let me just double check. Hopefully she sees it. Hopefully my connection doesn't play up as well, actually. Most importantly. Because my connection played up in the last one that I did. And then most importantly, I've been, I'm going to be having... Um, in the future, I've got even more exciting guests coming up as well. So that's going to be really good as well. Let me just send this to her again. I think in the meantime, actually, probably, while I'm waiting, I can probably read her bio that she sent to me, which I think is actually amazing. Let me get that up. Let's see, where is it? So, um, from Shiro Rajindran, activist, model, creative. <laughs> Man said lockdown trim again. No, Jeffrey, my hair just grew, that's all. Um, so let me read... Um, the bio that she sent me consider myself a creative with a moral obligation using social media creativity and modeling as platforms to inclusively celebrate bi people of color people especially bi i'm not too sure poc women as well as myself of course i use my platform to empower women to love themselves and their bodies to the fullest capacity encourage questioning harmful european beauty ideals that dictate ideals of beauty and femininity in society as well as the touch on the importance of self love visibility response representation sorry let me just yeah i'm not an academic i talk through my own experiences educating and informing myself on issues and informing others on my platform in a way that is accessible inclusive and down to earth i was literally just reading your bio yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> I'm just hoping you're just like, oh my God, that's so bad. No, 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 it's not bad <laughs> at all. But 
I was kind of <laughs> just um, letting everyone get a gist of who you are. So I'll let you introduce yourself most importantly to everyone that's going to be watching. Yep. So my name is Shira Vindran. I'm a model. I'm an activist and a creative. So a lot of my work is centered around um, uh, black and brown women and people like, you know, just kind of also just generally just focusing a lot of issues around the black and brown community and empowerment, self-love, body positivity. I call it radical self-love as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm just really bad at doing bias for myself sometimes, so, you know. <laughs> I think it's, um, I say this with every live, but it's just good to be able to have people that come on that have different experiences and come from different walks of life. So could you tell us the community that you're from and I suppose some of the experiences that we're going to be talking about as well? Um, yeah, so I'm Tamil. So uh, I'm a Tamil from Sri Lanka. Um, I choose not to call myself Sri Lankan just purely because yeah. of that, well, if anyone's aware of like the whole what happened in Sri Lanka in, in regards to what happened to the Tamil community there was a whole genocide against the Tamil community and obviously um the majority Sinhalese extremist government um committed so many atrocities against Tamil people so I was actually born in Sri Lanka and um and my family came over to the UK for you know a better life and um yeah my experiences growing up has been quite interesting it's like that in between of like not quite not being white enough for the white kids and then not being you know yeah brown enough for the brown kids and naturally as a um like being darker skin and south asian like even you know there's like um racism that exists uh between the south asian communities and hierarchies and you know i grew up with a not just having racism um white folks but also a lot of south asian people uh for being tamil and like it's not and especially in a school that i was like a lot of the tamils that were there they were, we were like a very small group of tamil kids like, i think there was only four of us in our year and then all the other Asian oh, wow. kids were, yeah so the other kids were all North Indian and it's typically known that like you know the racism that exists between North Indians and they they're quite racist towards like South Indians and Tamils and usually Asian groups that are darker skinned um so yeah like that's just a bit about like you know some just some of the experiences that I've had growing up but um yeah for me I've I think I what you naturally do is also go to uh, relate to a group that is more in pro like looks a lot more like you and for me that was actually I related a lot more to the black kids around me and black culture and especially black women um they inspired me throughout my life and just even I can say that they actually incited my self-love growing up because it was as much as I love my community um, it was the South Asian and Tamil community and people in my own met, like family, they inside the self-hate that I had for myself and, you know, my darker complexion. And the first time I even had anyone even say anything nice about the way that I looked was a black girl in school. And I still won't forget it. I was like in my PE class and I think I was really like conscious of my body. And it was just a little kind, but I never, ever forget it. And she said, oh, you've got a really cute butt shoe. And I was just like, I got so gassed. I was like, that was just like the nicest thing I ever had said to me because especially in school, I didn't have anyone say anything nice on the way that I look. So, um, yeah, that was like a mixture of everything, but I hope I didn't sound jumbled up. Sometimes I get no, a little bit carried away when I'm talking. No, definitely not. Um, so I grew up in um, Southwest London and I went to school with 
about probably about 80% black kids, about maybe 15% Asian and maybe the next 5% white. And there was um, a small little Tamil community, but I know you said you don't want to identify as Tamil. What would you rather? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I identify as Tamil, but I don't, I don't like being called Sri Lankan. Just okay. Like that. Yeah, because the term, when, to me, to identify as Sri Lankan is, is identifying with a state that committed atrocities against Tamil people. And even, like, the flag, I don't relate to that flag. So there is a type of, like, when I do see other, like, even Tamil people, people wait, have that flag up in their bio. There's that little part of me that feels uncomfortable because of why it signifies. So, like, even when people induce me, they're like, oh, yeah. Because um, I feel like it's a way of erasing my Tamilness. It's like, you know, when, for example, like, when people call something urban, it's like, just call it black. Because uh, even that is, for me, by saying urban, you're eradicating the blackness, the black influence of something. Yeah. And it's the same when someone just calls me Sri Lankan, it's, uh, it's erasing my Tamil identity. Well, it's a very blanket term, right? Yeah, exactly. So I was, I, I was reading and um, it said that the Tamil community is one of the largest and oldest ethno-linguistic groups from part of India and Sri Lanka, and you're typically excluded from the South Asian narrative. Um, yeah, is there, definitely. Is there any way that you could go deeper into that for people that are watching? Because again, I'm learning just as much as other people, my audience will probably be learning too. Yeah, so, I mean, it's still something I'm also learning about my own ancestry. So, like, yeah, so I'm, so our ancestors, people that are Tamil-speaking, South Indian people, they, their ancestors were Dravidians. Uh, Dravidian people, they're the indigenous people of India. A lot of people don't know, like, you know, this is something that I, I got, like started learning about when I was 16 on by myself. And um, yeah, so the Dravidians were, you know, if your Tamil, your ancestors are Dravidians. So they were the indigenous people of India. Yeah. And what kind of happened was, um, well, you know, the North, the North Indians, their ancestors are Indo-Aryans. So I don't know if you've heard of the Indo-Aryan invasion. Okay. Yeah, so the Indo-Aryans, they were basically white people and they came and invaded India and forced the Dravidian people further down south. Um, that's why they always say like the further down south you go in India the darker the people get and so like yeah so that the south Indians their ancestors are Dravidians and so the Indo-Aryans kind of resided in the northern parts of India and it's I guess people don't even talk about this Indo-Aryan supremacy they created the caste system yes so they, yes so even even it's like even predating uh colonial times colorism and car like you know colorism came from that caste system that they created putting yeah. all the higher castes to be associated to lighter skin and you know darker skin dark and then darker skin being associated to lower caste and obviously when the british came over they exploited this yeah. caste system to further benefit um white supremacy so um yeah, so that division has always existed. Um, and also, even even for me, I just feel, even though I don't know if you've heard that term Desi, you know, you've heard that term Desi, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that now in the last few years has been all of a sudden used as an umbrella term to include all South Asians. But growing up for me, that I never ever seen any of my culture be included or my group of people be included under that term. Um, I always saw North Indian culture, specifically Punjabi culture being rep represented like through media the like representation all of that was always 
um like yeah north indian culture that was represented i never seen i so that term was so foreign to my people so now that all of a sudden like south asian groups and whatever are using that term to describe us i just don't think that's fair it's not a term that's for everybody i think it only represents one one specific culture and group so um yeah so in the way that you know we you've come to the conclusion that the term sri lanka raises your experience is there anything that's happening right now that's allowing for the experience you've had to be more centered and for people to understand what you're you've gone through and the history that you've encountered um i think uh, people that i will to speak about like as a tamil person i know that you know the privilege of the privilege, the privilege of having you know this platform and also you know the privilege of also being better off than compared as compared to you know tamils that are in sri lanka like they're not able to just speak so openly about things the way that i can cuz you know they can put themselves in danger in that sense mm. but i think that's why when i say that i'm a creative with a moral obligation it's my moral obligation with because i have a platform and as someone from a marginalized community i can't just you know i can't just be like a white person and just go and be an influencer that influencer that plat- like that influencing and the platform needs to be used to go and you know put important message messages across um which wouldn't normally be put across and using it using my platform to center those messages and stuff so you know. yeah okay and um from what i've seen off your page you know you very much challenge the stereotypical eurocentric norms of um beauty standards and i really wanted to get a little bit more mm-hmm. into that you know you said that a black woman essentially made you feel positive in who you were and you can mm-hmm. somewhat relate to um the black experience so if you yeah. can go into yeah. that and i say that um yes i can relate to it but also i'm very i very much have a intersectional view of you know experiences like i know that i can never ever ex- um compare my experiences to a black woman especially like cuz i although being a dark skin and you know hairy girl i also have features and a hair type that is considered palatable as 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 composed to let's say like my experience could never be compared to a black woman of my complexion or even darker with afrocentric features and a hair and afrocentric hair types i know that that gives them a disadvantage in the way that is being viewed so even that's another thing that i like to stress on it's like we can't we i mean we need to have a intersectional view of everything understanding that each part of our ed- identities can give us you know certain privileges and certain disadvantages and um you know even in this conversation about self love it's not just about loving yourself that I, like the self love that i like to teach is 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 also about um expanding your views on beauty and also um addressing your own privileges and especially i know that i have a lot of south asian women that follow me and you know they will you know they message me a lot but i really hope that when they are also uh, you know learning to love themselves that they're also checking their privileges and expanding their um you know what's the word now sometimes they go lot um expanding their view of beauty and that's why i also like to share my platform and share as many many different body types as i can especially yeah. like black women um for me even just just being thankful that and crediting 
black women, especially plus size black women for creating that movement because essentially the self-love movement was created by plus size black women. Um, it was created for marginalized bodies, but they created it. And yet throughout this whole, whole movement, they have been the ones that have been sidelined from it. So it's kind of using, you know, yes, I can do my self-love thing and talk about me being dark skinned, but also addressing my privileges and using it to kind of bring back the attention to black women who created that mm. thing. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I can definitely understand that. And I think just from the comments alone right now, you're empowering a lot of people. And I really wanted, obviously there's a very obvious question. Your page, you know, you're, 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 as you described yourself, you're a hairy girl. And typically hair on a woman is typically not seen as beautiful. It's mm. not seen as acceptable. When did you come to that decision to keep your armpit hair and to allow yourself to be how you naturally actually are and oh, not to have um, to live up to these beauty standards? Um, one thing I say is just like, even one thing I've always done is question everything around me. Why, why, okay, you know, like, why do you find something unattractive? Because you essentially, when you go down to everything, it's because you've been conditioned that to think yeah. that way. And it's the same, it's like, you know, a guy can literally have his arm arms up and you know his hairy arm showing no yeah. one bats an eyelid and i was like then why why is it a problem when i do it but it's also it's also understanding that this idea of femininity has been very much influenced by white supremacy as well it has always centered white women and you know the way that white women have always been put as this delicate you know they don't a majority of white women don't have much body hair either so you know all of these ideas around femininity have been centered around white women and is questioning that and being like you know what fuck that i don't need that i've been everyone's just been conditioned to feel a type of way this isn't my body hair isn't hurting anyone it's not causing any harm for anyone and also even if i chose to take it all off people will always have something to say you can yeah. keep it from someone will say something i can take it off someone will have something to say um but my point is that even about the body hair thing is bigger than the body hair thing. My point is that women should be able to make whatever choice that they want with their body, whether they want to keep it or shave it or be in between. And they shouldn't have to be questioned for it. Like, I don't like the police thing. That's my problem. It's like yeah. people have the audacity to ask me why. It's like, why are my pubes your concern? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, why is, literally, why, are, why is it your concern? Yeah. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't bother yeah. you so much. But I guess that's people don't even realize how violent the conditioning is that people become so militant about making sure not only they conform to something, but other people conform to something as well. Mm. So and even... I, well, I, I, you know, I can't speak for everyone. I personally think a woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her body. Her bodily autonomy, I think, is the most important thing. But the minute that I posted that I was going to go live with you, people checked your page. And the first question that they came and asked me was, <laughs> how is this girl so brave to have her body hair out there? And that's why I had to ask you. I had to ask yeah. that question. I want to know, was there a moment where the hairs on the end of your body said, look, listen, we don't want to be cut no more? It's literally, you know, when you just think it's like, why we've had, the, I think it's like when you come out of, it's like, you have to remember, like, we're constantly unlearning everything. Like, no yeah. one's really conscious. You're constantly unlearning. And the moment that you come out and be like, wait a minute, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why does this actually matter? Like, we've actually, it's, it's, 
it's just one of those things. I just think I, for me, it first started with like, I just start get like, I'm really hairy. And like, I was, you know, before, I think maybe when I was like 12, I started yeah. with 10. When, you, you know what it is, I'll tell you actually. I was playing basketball with yeah. um, some of the kid girls. I was really sporty, wearing a tank top, wearing, playing basketball. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm in primary school, I'm playing basketball and these, and then I'm, I scored a goal. And then this girl was like, Oh shoot! Do, do your your armpits are hairy. <laughs> it was only in that moment yeah. that I started to feel conscious. So before that, didn't have a problem. And that's why I say you only have a problem with the way you look and when somebody tells you that there's something wrong with you. But before yeah. that, before that, you never ever you know that's what they say. You are taught to hate yourself. Mm. And I guess in a sense, it's like going back to that young kid where I wasn't even bothered about what was happening with my body. And, you know, from that moment when I was started shaving, blah, 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 I was doing all the time. And it was all this stress of like, oh, you know, and it's like, I, it's not like I have like thin hair either. Like these, yeah. people, like I would be in the changing rooms, like not to sound like weird, but like in changing rooms and just like step, like looking at the girl's hair on their body. Yeah. And I would just be like, oh, it's not fair. Like they, they can still have their body hair and it's so light that you can't even see it. But mine, like I have hair all over and it's so visible. And again, it's that conditioning. And then slowly, maybe it was more in like when I turned 19, 20, um, that I just start first. I was just like, I don't care about my arm hair. So I just, just let it go. No one really even said anything. If anyone did say anything, it was someone from my community. It was the yeah. auntie. It was, you know, because they're so concerned and especially in the south asian community the two things that a woman is meant to be is light skin and hairless yes and i am not any of that <laughs> i'm not any of that and i don't i don't care about being any of that and um yeah and i then slowly i just started just like you know just not really caring about like the body hair stuff like don't get me wrong it's like you know you still like the, the sometimes there sometimes when I'm feeling conscious it's not even about how I feel about because I really like the way that I look with my body hair what other people make me feel uncomfortable it's like why should I have to go somewhere and have to have people stare at me or something because I've made a decision with my body that they've decided that they don't like but yeah people literally be whispering or saying stuff like that and I've experienced sometimes in you know certain cases but I always think that it's also it happens just because people on people are actually scared of people doing what they want with their bodies. Cause there's a lot more people than you realize that are so used to being one way and following a system yeah. that when they see someone just step out and do something, which is not a big deal. It's literally body hair literally grows yeah. out of our fucking body and people just, people want to, you know, go crazy about it. But again, that's conditioned. You're conditioned to even attack people that step out of the norms. Well, it's um, interesting because body hair and hair in general, it's a barrier to protect you from bacteria. And it's interesting mm -hmm. how it's better to actually really and truly have hair than it is to not have hair mm -hmm. in general. And I wanted to ask you, for a lot of people that fear that judgment, and I think society is really harsh on women in general in terms of what they should do, the policing of what they can and can't do how did you just break that conditioning because there's going to be people here that are going to be watching and be like how did you do it was, was um, talking about body hair or are you just talking about self-love in general like how oh, did body i body hair in particular and then body if you hair. want to answer about self-love then yeah um again it's just 
breaking out of it is just is part of me um that's just one of those things you just i have to i i think part of it was also just like i why should i have to spend so much on this hair removal stuff number yeah. one i mean it's not like i did spend much on hair removal stuff anyway because <laughs> I, I mean i'm cheap as fuck so i really don't like spending yeah um, that was just more practical but i think it was just I had it in my head because I was like pre-planning like in my head I was thinking like questions you might ask me and I'm like yeah. talking to myself in my room how I would answer this but you know when it comes to self-love and accepting your body especially as a black and brown person and a woman woman especially you know in a world where it's constantly telling us that we're not good at this we're not good at that we're not attractive for this and whatever you know me ha hating that part of me is only contributing to my destruction. Yeah. In a world where it's already vouching for my destruction, me hating myself only contributes to that. So why on earth should I hate something that I was taught to hate? Because that is directly helping white supremacy. And I can't over my fucking dead body that I ever contribute to the destruction of my own and myself. So that's how I viewed it. I know it's like, you know, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. So you essentially yeah. had an epiphany where you realize that society profits off your insecurities. So yeah. why do you have to carry on? Why am I Why am I contributing to this? I'm not contributing to white supremacy. I'm not, that even is with, you know, skin lightening products to, um, you know, hair removal products. This is literally being created from our self-hate. Absolutely. And when I see, you know, it's, it's when I see, you know, No, don't tell me it's cut out. Oh, is it cut out? Can you see me? Can you hear me? I think my internet might have cut out. No. Can you can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, cool. Thank God. I thought it was my internet. What were you saying? Um, no, I was just saying it's just like it, it does it pains me when I do see like, you know, black and brown people, especially with the bleaching, you know, industry. It's like a billion dollar industry that has been literally these yes. are racist racist white companies that have profited off of our people. Yes. And that is also us contributing to our own destruction. Stripping away our melanin, stripping that's violent, that's a violent act. In, in a way, that that's erasure, that is genocidal. If, you, if that makes sense, it is. Well, yeah, it's, it's very much the idea that we have to look one set way and that uniformity is crazy. And I think in 2013 in Nigeria, I think it was 77% of women were bleaching. I think mm. that's crazy. Um, the closer Sorry, connecting that one again. Look, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. No, it just keeps on going in and out, but I think it's fine. Oh, you can hear me? I think it's fine. Oh, yeah. Cool, thank God. Yeah, and it's just very much that idea of blonde hair and blue eyes and who is beautiful. But we both would probably agree that the idea of beauty is it's subjective. It's incredibly a personal experience. So do you think the media as such a big institution continues to play these effects? Yeah, definitely. It's propaganda. It, it is propaganda. Whether the, It's got so normal that sometimes I think even those people creating the content don't even realise they're subconsciously doing it. And actually saying that, um, 
which I was thinking, I talked about this the other day, but I know with you, there's like this TV show called Greenleaf. It's a Oprah Winfrey show on Netflix. Okay. And um, all the characters, all the whole, the whole cast is black. And there's some like problematic tropes in it where it's like, you know, you've got the leading woman who's a very fair skinned woman and she's kind of like praised and stuff. And then all of the darker skinned women are not only jealous of this lighter skinned woman, but they're also given some of the worst storylines, like, like the worst. And like, you're kind of, the way that they play it out, you're kind of created to dislike them. Yeah. And that is bad. Like, I mean, that is kind of like a propaganda kind of thing. Like, I'm not saying that is they're purposely doing, but I think it's become so normal to have the darker skinned women, women um, playing, you know, jealous angry you know wim um you know just very just really just negative negative roles and then the lightest screen women always playing like you know the innocent nice fragile ones and yeah i did and i think that will have a that did have a subconscious subconscious effect on you because look how it's the same thing like even in india they've got like these tv shows all the time it's always the dark skinned girls that are like the evil characters and then um, the light skin girls are always like these innocent, nice, you know, girl next door types. And it very much does play a, you know, well, it's, 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 it's a fact that it does affect you. And it's like that, what's that famous uh, test with the doll test? I was literally, yeah, going to yeah. ask about that. With the, yeah. the doll test, I believe it was in 1940 by Dr. Kenneth Clark. They spoke about the psychological effects of segregation on African-American kids and the feelings of inferiority and um, mm -hmm. how I think our generation is doing amazing things in terms, sorry, let me just, this thing is really annoying me. Right, that should be better now. Is that better? That should be better? I think so, yeah, that's better. Um, yeah, and very much this idea that whiteness is, it's synonymous with um, power, beauty, synonymous with um, blessings and everything that's great. Mm -hmm. And when you look at things that are darker, it's synonymous with, darkness, matter out yeah. of place and dirt. And do you yeah. think whilst our generation is challenging these tropes and media is trying to change this and we've got independent outlets, my question to you is, do you think there is enough that we will be able to do in our time to change these stereotypes and narratives with the dark skin and the light skin? Um, here's the thing. Um, it's not just with colorism that's the issue we're also talking about i think i mentioned it when we were like discussing uh you know doing all of this but it's not just colorism we have to understand that blackness on a whole it's not just the color of one's dark like the color of dark skin that's a problem it's also the black features and black hair types yes play all into it featureism, so, right? yeah featureism and hairism these all all of these things affect black women the most um, you know, or uh, black people with Afrocentric features. Yes, being dark skin is one thing. It's like, that's another thing. That's why I say intersectionality is what is going to help us move forward. We can't just all look at our, like, like I said, I'm, um, I can't compare my, um, experience with dark skin to the same way that a black woman with Afrocentric features has. Because at the same time, I know that my features have been seen as, you know, more palatable. Yeah. And that's the problem. Like, even when people are addressing colorism, they completely affect, forget how much it affects those people with non-Eurocentric features more, Afrocentric features. So, um, 
I haven't seen enough people kind of talk about futurism and hairism in this yeah. conversation. So even that, it's like how I, and I, I'm, I'm a realist when it comes to like, do I think that the world even will change when it comes to racism in a whole, colorism goes into that anti-blackness, all of these things combined. There's so much little things that we have to go into, right? And one thing is that I don't believe that, <sighs> I don't know. I don't. I don't want to even sound pessimistic when I say this. It's so hard because I think being someone that's kind of just constantly looking at the world and just being so disappointed by it and so angry by it, and you know, seeing that there has been, we can only. Oh, this is going to sound. I don't know. If it's going to sound really sad if I say this because I I used this analogy with somebody else, and it was just like they were like, "This is really sad." Too. But it's like, you know, we have to you know, white supremacy is a cancer, right? And it's a cancer that has affected black and brown communities and just ravaged our communities, right? And we have to look at our communities like, you know, okay, you know, cancer patients in their last dying days, you make their last few days as comfortable as you can. And that's what I'm trying to do is like, I might, the racism is so ingrained in our society, it's so insidious that to even think this has take this thing has taken centuries and centuries to implement itself into every aspect of our lives to think that there are people that think oh in the next 10 years in the next 100 years this thing has taken more than 100 years to destroy our communities the only thing that i can do is to uplift and empower black and brown communities and make the world just bearable to live in because this idea of thinking that we can change it in a way where, oh, there's not, there's no, there's no more racism. I'm sorry, but when you chuck a pebble into the ocean, the ripples are still there. The ripples will stay there forever. And it's not me being saying, oh, it's not me saying, oh, you know, things and we can't change things. We can change some laws. We can empower the people, people in our community that actually want to ha feel better about themselves and, you know, move you know, that, that want to essentially create even the littlest things that can maybe make our lives just a little bit better. But do I think that these things will change completely? No, I don't. But I know that if I, if there are people that want to be empowered and whatever, come and join me. But there are plenty of, you know, black and brown people that are still in that conditioning that don't even want to come out of that because the conditioning is so violent. I just, I just want to say to everyone, because people are saying that um, they want it to be saved. It's going to be saved. It's going to be on my page. Um, so it's going to be here for everyone to access no matter what. So I just want to confirm that. And I've seen people that have questions. If you <laughs> can, just throw questions in the question box, because it makes it easier for us to go straight then and you can answer the questions. So I want to ask you. So I think, again, the brain is a creature of volume and repetition. Very yeah. much the idea that conditioning, it happens over and over again. When you look at children, children are malleable. You can change children. Children, you can, children are a mini universe. So a child can, you can teach a child to do anything that they want. If a child grows up with a racist ideology, more than likely their racist ideology will perpetuate into the bigger, into the bigger world. And what I want to ask you is, when we look at children, we see the best in humanity. I want to ask, I'm not sure if you've seen on Channel 4, there was a, a little social experiment where they were tackling racism in schools and they were looking at unconscious bias with children. And I wanted to ask you, do you think children are the way forward for us 
having a better future, perhaps, even if we are pessimistic or optimistic? Can we teach children and get rid of that negative condition and have more positive conditioning to influence the wider society? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they are the future, but it's also, that's also now, like, it's also to do with their environment and what you're exposing that child to. Um, and that is assuming that, assuming that there are so many people that are, like, you have to still remember, people that are socially conscious are still the minority because the majority is still not, you know, conscious. A lot of people are still racist and homophobic and misogynistic and those people will most definitely not care about the type of content that is being shown to their child. We will, but, you know, it's hoping that maybe that will have some kind of domino effect, right? But um, it depends. People need to be realistic about the change that they're looking at. I think, I don't know. It's just one of the things. I think it really just, just depends on how what you, that kid's being exposed to and educating the kid. And, and that also, that's the thing. In those years between what the ages of like, when we start like going to school at like five, right? I believe so. Nursery, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, in those years that we're the most impressionable, me, that, that this is also a thing of like, it goes down to the education system. We need to um, decolonize our education systems and start having even like, you know, the authors and the books that we're reading, more authors of colour, just like those changes make such a difference. Having, having like, you know, being exposed to more black and brown people in our histories because they exist they very much exist and we need to and i think it's not just that it's just like even i think about like you know in in history class when you know everything that i've learned in my life about the reality of what this country is and everything that has happened has come through my own education it hasn't been it hasn't been through school and if anything i'm being in history classes where they're praising white white supremacists I yeah. can hear that. <laughs> no, 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 I, just, I didn't know. <laughs> no, but that, that, yeah, no, that's that, that's what it is. It's just you know, and I think as a kid, you still think that you know, yeah, the adults know better. You don't question it sometimes. You just you just take it as it is, and it's until I don't know. And that, um, that <laughs> and that makes me think because um, I'm not sure if you know, but. To anyone who doesn't know, I'm from Trinidad. In Trinidad, we have a large Indian population. And my granddad was what you would call Doga, which means he's black and Indian mixed. And mm -hmm. my granddad, interestingly, didn't really like me because I was lighter skinned, but he favoured my cousins who are more Indian looking. And it's mm -hmm. just very interesting that you say that because it was an ideology that kind of went through the rest of my family. But I think my family are okay now. It doesn't really matter. But when I was older, my um, auntie said to me once, she's like, oh, you've got a lovely nose. And when my hair grows, for example, people are surprised by the texture. They're like, oh, it must be the Indian you per se. And as mm. you said, we were talking about features and very much the idea that Eurocentric features are favored above everything else. There's children that grow up and they, as they grow up into society, there's certain, there's ways that they want to look. And mm. someone asked an interesting question here. Can we have a racist free society in capitalism, it's a system dependent on oppression. So it's a question I've got to ask, well, let you answer. No, I mean, I, we can't. It's just because it is dependent on someone always being below that, like, you know, um, I had this, it's weird, like that is a conversation that I had even last week. I was like, 
it doesn't work because you know yes you can people talking some people are just talking about trying to get rid of systematic racism but it's like that it's like in order for in order for change to happen you need to be able to be willing to destroy everything else around you absolutely and are people comfortable with that of course because I think when it gets brought up then you'll see a lot more people i feel like when that is then when your comforts and everything that you know around you is being taken away how many people are left in the revolution right yeah how many people will send be like oh actually you know i'm i'm what kind of used to this lifestyle and da 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 well guess what you're going to have to get used if you want real change to happen like no change comes through comfort right so no so my answer is no you can't have a you know racist free society with capital capitalism so what would be a viable alternative that encompasses the difference of humans but also helps us to stay equal in the very same breath could you see a system is it tangible for us to have something like that or am i just being a dreamer and too radical i mean i just think that's um i don't know i i i sound so pessimistic i'm not trying to i'm just trying to see the world for what it is because it's insidious as fuck right it's just white supremacy is so ingrained like i said it's like what we can do i think as you know conscious black and brown people is create as much space and opportunities it's like you know we can you know what they say it's like if there's no point asking for a seat at the table when that table was never really for us absolutely so you create your own table you create your own table there's no it's like there's a why what exactly why why on earth would i want to uh, see at that table when that table was never created for me so might as well create my own table and use it to put my own people on and that's all i can do it's like it's kind of like nav- how we can i think the question is more like how we can navigate through a racist world creating our own opportunities creating our own you know institutions creating and also just um kind of gone blank there uh sorry no 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 it's okay you know when you're just talking so there's so much information in my head um yeah just creating your own opportunities putting your own people on and just trying to make sure as many black and brown people are in the positions of power as well the ones making the de- the decision makers because right now too many decision makers are, that are in power are all white there's not enough of them. the more we can get our own people on there then we can get more of our own it's like kind of like infiltrate right well, then- that leads me on to ask you a very valid other question. You can put brown and black people in positions of power, but as a people, as ethnic minorities, we're not a monolith. We don't all have the same thinking. Whilst I might agree with you, you know, mm. we've come to our own conclusions. You've got individuals such as Pretty Patel who claim that Labour or left-wing politicians or left-wing mm. people are being racist to her, yet her yes. family were kicked out of Uganda by Idi Amin because um, she was mm. Asian. So is is the answer just to have brown and black people because No no so when I when when I say brown and black I should have wrote, put conscious brown and black and people conscious meaning like those kind of in tune with their own selves and their history um not people like pre like she's not she's not the kind of person that I was talking about because you know they like I said but the thing is it's people like her that white supremacy needs because it needs to uphold white supremacy because white supremacy is not just upheld by um white folks it's conditioned uh black and brown people 
that uphold it as well. Um, they won't if they they think it's easier to side with whiteness in order to be comfortable. And I guess what I'm talking about is more like people, black and brown people that want genuine change for their communities and um yeah. I don't know. So then what would genuine change look like to you and how would you go about that? I think ge genuine change for what? Like in everything or what? Very much in the idea for us to have a radical self-love and to, even if we can't fully get rid of racism, but mm. to, have it, to have it somewhat decreased in, in mm. your perspective. I think in general, just the representation to not just like for me, like I, I always also talk about like diversifying the types of black and brown bodies and not just showing like I'm just talking now on like campaigns and like, you know, with fashion. Don't just show black and brown bodies that are palatable or in proximity to whiteness. Show the diverse black and brown bodies that are further marginalized like I said, plus-sized black women, brown women, um, you know, Afrocentric, non-Eurocentric features and hair types, um, showing all of that, it does make a big difference to people because the message that you put across when you only put black and brown people that are in proximity to whiteness in campaigns is that you're only attractive if you look like a white person somehow. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So by putting, it's constantly just putting as many of our own people and all types of our people up there. That's the most important thing. But also making sure that the ones that are like, even when I've done modeling, like photo shoots and stuff like that, yeah, the team might look diverse with loads of black and brown people running around, yet the ones making the decisions, the one, the director or whatever, still white. Still the casting director, still white. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So... So would you say companies at the moment are, I think I saw a term called woke washing, where they're just trying to make it look like they're in touch with um, societal issues. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have companies putting a few brown and black people in to make it look like they care about diversity. But as you said, mm -hmm. they're still in closer proximity to whiteness and they're still extremely palatable. So mm -hmm. we agree that diversity and representation is important for people growing up and for people just to see themselves and to see people that look like them so i want to ask you how have you used modeling as a medium to promote representation and how do you challenge those norms that you're very much against um so for me it's just modeling has just been a platform just because of how um the fact is people are attracted to people that they find attractive so i know that when people have come across my profile or seen my picture be posted somewhere else they'll click on it because they like the way that i looked and from that it's kind of i've you use it as a luring of you know lure people in uh yeah. seeing a pretty girl and then all Wait. of a sudden i'm like rickrolled with wokeness yeah. or something so that's why i call it i'm like oh, i just rickroll you with some like information and you're just like whoa what the fuck um but yeah, like it's it's also the fact that a lot of my modeling opportunities, I've also been picked for some of the what I've been about and what I've said. So that further allows me to use, you know, their platforms to talk about, you know, what I'm doing or, you know, sometimes you don't even have to say anything, just being, just being a, you know, me being a Tamil dark skinned woman on a campaign, that is a statement. Like that means a lot to a lot of I know like for me 
if I, a younger Shira seeing a Tamil girl up there in a, in you know in a huge campaign would be like oh my god like that's me that I see me and the, the what makes me I think that statement that it makes is that and you can do anything as well the because if you don't if you don't see yourself then you feel like you can't do anything you don't feel like oh well I'm invisible I'm not important so you know does that on no, no, sense? it does. Yeah. It does yeah. And I, I wanted to throw a question to you because someone put a question in the question box. So I'm going to put it up. How do you deal with people within your brown community that try to invalidate your? I suppose brown. I would say your browns that you invalidate your brown. Like I have dark. Skin. I have dark skin and very curly hair, and people in my community treat me a little differently. Um, I think we kind of had this conversation about um. You, you mean, wait, let me just read that again. You brown community that tried to invite you. Um, are they trying to say, like, in regards to, like, they've been treated differently because... Because they're brown and they're trying to be, they're invalidated because they have dark skin and curly hair? I, I think mm -hmm. we could, maybe we could assume that's what they were asking. Oh, I think, okay, I think what they're trying to say is that, okay, if somebody invalidates your identity as, when when people, when when I say brown, I mean South Asian, so I think, I think this person's like trying to say that their South Asian identity has been invalidated because they don't conform to looking like... Oh, they said they meant to say brownness. Brownness. Yeah, so I'm guessing like invalidates your identity as a South Asian person, like brownness. Um what would I, how do you do? I mean, I haven't personally experienced that. Like I still, I guess for a lot of South Asian people or like people in my community, they say I'm like, I look like a typical Tamil girl. Um, but for example, like my sister who has more Afrocentric features, like she's got curlier hair and a wider set nose and big lips. Um, I think that she, you know, I can't speak for her, but she's had experience of like people trying to even our own community invalidate her experience as a brown person, even trying to deny that she's even Tamil, which, you know, because um, that's another thing. It's just like understanding. I think it's that comes in yourself and you need to understand like someone else having their their closed minded opinion of what your people are meant to look like. That's their ignorant mindset. But that doesn't invalidate who you are and your identity. Is that the best way to answer it? Because I I'd like to believe them. They could get an answer from that. I don't think. I think you explained yeah. it pretty well. You think? I don't know. I did. I feel like I was like, I wasn't sure. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and with everything happening in the world at the moment, um, how do you feel about everything that's been happening in the world? So you've got the COVID. The COVID's affected brown and black bodies the mm -hmm. most. Um, you've got the George Floyd death, the Black Lives Matter. You've got so much happening. The removal of the statues. How do you feel about the world currently? Are you in a more positive way? Like even, I know you said a, bit, um, a while that you were um, pessimistic, but is there any sense of optimism that comes about? No, I think what is, what's coming out of it is that people are even, what, one thing I have noticed is that more people um, I've heard um, have said that they're like denouncing and disassociating with their racist friends and being really, you know, cutthroat about it. That's what I've always been about. Like even, you know, when I started, can, you know self-love is also a part like it's also looking at the people around you and as a black and brown person you need to understand that 
if the people around you don't even understand your own experiences and can say problematic stuff like that and you know that's going to help have a mental effect on your psyche and you you can't be around that so i'm optimistic in the sense that more people are willing to cut off racist and problematic friends right but i think um yeah like little things like that there is don't get wrong there's little things that i when i see i'm like oh it's it's beautiful seeing like even after everything was happening it was so beautiful to just see like the determination the constant determination of like the black community and just seeing like you know these beautiful images being put up and like just also just showing that black joy despite everything that's going on and despite yeah. you know that to me seeing black people just be them like happy you know just be happy in their blackness in who they are that is a beautiful thing and just seeing that on the tl like just scrolling through and just seeing all these yeah. beautiful black bodies being happy like that yeah those things that's what i mean like those little things those you know part of those small communities that we do can uplift our little communities and makes the world just that little bit bearable and i hope you know that does help so many other young black and brown kids just even being able to see an image like that can uplift you but um as in a whole i think also you know the reason why even the protests and stuff like got to and you know all of this got to the level that it did is because when you're all in what the fact is in our daily lives we have so many different things that distracts you know even as black and brown people who are conscious you know we have these other things that happen in our lives that distract distract us from our oppression our everyday the everyday racism and the microaggressions that come with it and you know doing all these other things you know we know this stuff is happening but sometimes we get we distract ourselves away from it but the moment that everyone had to be locked in one space, we're all online because that is really our only way of having communication with the outside world. You had no option but to be confronted with the reality of what this world and the system is. And that's why I think it got to the level that it did. Because it's not to say that all the other times that the Black Lives Matter movement happened that it wasn't important. It's just that this moment in time every single person in the whole world had to be confronted with the reality of what the world is without the distractions. Yeah. So That's the world, my... so perhaps maybe to you now, the world is challenging all the issues that it's once had. So mm -hmm. doesn't that leave us in a more positive view that I think we're going to finally perhaps change things? I think social media has been such a revolutionizing agent for people to yeah. disseminate and share that information. So what will you continue to do for your community and in solidarity with the other communities? Because I wanted to ask you as well that, mm. is there a lot of anti-blackness within the Tamil community yourself? Oh, yeah. The South Asian community in general <laughs> is so anti-black. It's, it's, a, it's a serious problem in our community and it's something that I've addressed for a long time time and i think it's not just anti it's anti-blackness and the appropriation of black culture by Ooh. south indian youth youth in general and it's an it's an issue that should have been it's a conversation that should have been had even before this like you know even before the movement um do you want to ask me something because i feel like I feel like I'm losing what I'm, I'm forgetting what I'm saying every time. All right. I'm going to use a very specific example. Whenever yeah. we think of Gandhi, we think of Gandhi as a revolutionary. 
But for anyone, for years I've known that Gandhi, what his, some of his behaviours were technically predatory and paedophilic because he slept with in the same also bed. he was anti-black. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. I was going to go on to that. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to lead on to it, but um, oh, okay, sorry, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he slept in um the bed with his um grandies because he wanted to practice abstinence and see if he could yeah. stay away from with se from sex. Um, we know that he was also anti-black when he went to South Africa. He believed that the Indians and blacks shouldn't use the same doors at the Durban post office. So I want to yeah. ask you: whilst we remember Gandhi for being a peaceful revolutionary. Why do you think we've never really challenged his anti-blackness until really and truly now? Um, I mean, for, for me personally, I did, I'd known about uh, Gandhi's anti-blackness for quite a while. Um, the same time I kind of figured out when I was learning about Winston Churchill and the atrocities that he committed as well. Um, and I think this is the thing. Gandhi loved white people. He very much support, you know, that's the thing. And, and he also upheld the, the caste system, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, and he, yeah, and um, from what I read as well, that he even drew, I can't remember which world war it was, but he even uh, um, um, volunteered um, Indian Indians to fight in that war. So he was just as much, like I said, he was upholding white supremacy. So I think that he... Obviously, of course, Britain wanted to immortalize this figure because this was this was just another way. The, they saw him as a way of getting more people onto their agenda. You know, he's doing his thing and he's appearing this way, but he's also doing something that is aligned in uh, their ideologies. And I think, did, did you ask me how, how why it's taken this long for? Yeah, why do you think it's taken this long? Because you know what it is. People don't. You know, I think because, again, it goes back to, like, the lack of representation or, like, people that are put up there. And the moment that someone that you've, I guess, in that community have um, put to such a high standard and, you know, not just praised by their own community but by the world has then gone and done something so problematic, it's hard for people to let go of that ideal that this, you know, you know, he might have done this and this, but he did some. He did this, and this was so harmful to to the black community. And that, you know, um, it's like it's like, for example, like you know, when um, you know, Bill the Bill Cosby show, um, watching you know the Bill Cosby show. I've I've actually never watched it in my life. Oh, okay, so I used to watch the reruns on uh, Trouble TV, but um, oh shit, you know, we we have two minutes left. Um, do you okay. want to do another thirty minutes? Yeah, we can do another 30 minutes. All right, so cool. You know. Let me save this, and then I'm yeah. going to come back, okay? So okay. just to let everyone know, we're going to come back. We're going to do another 30 minutes, because this has been a, this has been a, a very eye-opening and informative conversation. So we'll be back. I'll be back in two minutes. I'm just going to save this. So, cool. all right. So log out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me... And we are back. This is going to be the, another 30 minutes of my conversation with Shira um, because we went over time a little bit. That's what happens when you're having an empowering conversation. So I'm just really looking forward to that. I've saved it all onto my page so um, everyone can tune in as well. So yeah, great, let's get this on. We've got another 30 minutes, everyone. So tune in, lock in with your questions and so much more. Let's carry on that conversation. Hopefully my connection doesn't play up. All right. And we're back. 
Yes, so sorry about that. I've posted up on my page so everyone knows that it's not lost, it's going to be there and it's saved. It's going to be a conversation you can access at any time. So as you were saying, my apologies for that. Um, no, no, it's cool. Um, yeah, so like, this was something I've read ages ago, you know, before Bill, Cos uh, Bill Cosby's like, you know, this stuff came out about what he had done to all those women, you know, before that, I think, so he was, he was, uh, painted as this really, you know this really wholesome guy and like you know especially during that time where there was so much um when black people were being portrayed on tv they were always portrayed as like these negative stereotypes and obviously he comes out with a show where it just shows like uh, a family unit a black family unit and they're like well off and you know educated and stuff like that and i think for a lot of like um like african-american people seeing that really positive representation that you know for a lot like it kind of also for them i guess it they saw like a second father in that tv show and it was like wow you know this person known across you know the world and he's you know putting us in a good light as well and then all of a sudden the this stuff happens and then there was so many people that didn't want to accept that he had did what he did and they were so they couldn't even accept it and they didn't want to address it or they just thought it was, no, we're just going to brush it under the carpet. But I think that's what it is. It's like, because of, and that's why it's also history comes into and learning more about other historical figures and other, you know, people that we can look up to so that we have, we have other people that we can look up to. It's like this, you know, that one person, Gandhi doesn't represent every single South Asian person. And he's not the only south asian revolutionary there's so many other people but there's not enough being told on that history so um yeah i think just the fact that it was so it took a long time for a lot of people to address it because people wanted to hold on to the hold on to any little you know it's like holding on to that little hope of thinking maybe he was good but it's like this guy was a bad guy he wasn't you know he it yeah i just so don't know yeah, sorry. So would it be the sense of celebrity idol worship? You know, you see these people in such a positive way. And I wanted to, yeah. ask, um, I wanted to ask you, I think the moral and the ethical bar of today is um, rightly and righteously quite high. But can the actions... So typically when we think of people, one bad sometimes can overshadow all the good that they've done. Do you think sometimes we're a bit too harsh in some senses that we take away all the good they might have done irrespective yeah. if they've held some not so wholesome views um i i is that like i guess in for example in regards to like cancel culture for example like you know you see it, it's different if like okay if that person obviously if they let's say talk about someone who's currently doing good right now and if that person made a mistake mistake in the past that was problematic yes they should be it should be brought up and how they should be held accountable but it's also seeing okay up and from that point and what they're doing now have they gone out their way to educate themselves and better themselves and only you know that should be taken into account but i think that the problem is that a lot of people actually enjoying the act of cancelling someone and dragging someone rather than actually mm. seeing yeah that's what's scary and i've seen that so many times like you know you see and this happens it's not just this happens to everyone you know people that are currently you know doing you know people need to understand that 
we weren't all conscious at one point. We weren't woke. You weren't born woke. Mm. And throughout your life, when just and when you start on learning, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect the first time round. Do you know what I'm saying? That means it, that unlearning means making mistakes along the way, being having to be held accountable and checked for some of the problematic stuff that you've said or you've done, whether you've knowingly done it or you know not even realized that you've gone and done and said something problematic. And you know, I think social media has kind of created, especially like woke, inst- uh, woke the woke community has created this really hostile environment of like, you have to be perfect. It's like, and that, that actually does, that goes against that, that you can't change the world that way. How do you expect to change the world if you can't even allow people to grow or space to grow? And, you know, I've seen that a lot on social media. It's, It's scary actually, because it makes you think like, you know, both you, me, so many other people, we're not perfect people. And there was, you know, social media was around when we were not conscious or when we were, you know, not just when we're not conscious, when we're constantly unlearning or when we partake in problematic things. And the most important thing is that if that person can address it, be held accountable and know that the the damage is done and it can't be reversed, if you can change, you, you know, if you've only now continued trying to uplift your communities and doing better and being a good ally, that's the most important thing, right? But, um, like I said, people enjoy seeing other people fail and lose opportunities and being dragged and stuff like that. So. I think you absolutely made such a key point. Cancel culture drags people through the mud and it absolutely acts like people can't get up, clean themselves off and dust themselves off. Mm-hmm. And um, there's going to be a lot of people that I know that believe that liberalism nowadays is anything but liberal. It's actually quite illiberal. And I want to ask you personally, can we forgive Gandhi for his anti-blackness and the things he did in his youth and remember him in a more nuanced way, in the way that we remember him for the good, but also the bad? Is there space for that in this current time? Um, I guess, you know, again, he's like, but he's, 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 he's dead. So it's not like he can change everything that's happened. But I think it's like, up until his death, I'm assuming that he was still anti-black and misogynistic and and a creep. So for me, it's personally hard. I'm in when I'm talking about cancer culture, I'm just kind of like talking about like, you know, those that are living right now that have made mistakes in the past and that can change. I don't know. I mean, I I guess for me, I see it as like, well, I can look look for someone else to look up to that isn't as problematic as Gandhi. I feel like that's kind of different. You know, it just feels yeah. different because he's, he's dead. So yeah. you know, he's made his mistakes, and even till the point of his death, he was problematic. Um, so it but, leaves us in a little bit of a rock and a hard place, I suppose. Yeah, I think when I refer to cancel culture, it's really talking about you know what is happening right now with people currently living, and you know. And it's learning from those that came before and doing better than that each time. It's like, okay, you know, you've got these amazing revolutionaries, but then you also just find out like, oh, but they're also problematic. There's so many, you know, amazing people that were also, that did really crappy things. And, you know, you can take some, I guess if the majority of the stuff that they did was good, then yes. But I think with Gandhi, it just feels like there's so much some people say oh yeah you know he did so good but he still upheld the caste system he still did he did i for me there was more bad than good 
Mm. And it didn't seem like it was more beneficial for him to be in proximity to whiteness rather than really, for me, um, empowering your people means being proud of yourself and your blackness, your brownness, not being proud because you're in proximity to whiteness. And then that's the problem. Does, does that make sense? No, that does make sense. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. And um, someone asked a very good question. As you were mentioning, mm. oh, whoops, I pressed the wrong thing. <laughs> How do I uh, listen? I'm still trying to There's understand. A... Okay, right. So someone asked a question. They said... Here we go. What Tamil South Asian revolutionaries do you look up to? Um, this is really interesting because um, I actually personally have found it hard. I don't have any really like South Asian or Tamil revolutionaries that I've looked up to, mainly because for me, I think when I have come across some or whatever, there's always in my in my head, I'm always thinking, are they anti-black? Do you know what you know what I mean? It's like some of the the problem is that there were a lot of movements, like non-black POC movements, seem to only include their community, but then they also kind of like think that by uplifting their community, they have to tread on the black community. So for me, in general, I've all like even my own empowerment has come from um black revolutionaries is taking from black like taking what i've learned from you know black women and black re revolutionaries and kind of applying that into my own life and seeing how i can use that to help my communities and you know it's like it's like for example like the black panther party i love the fact that you know they not only were about empowering um the black community but they also created and supported so many non-black poc communities around the world and i'd never seen any you know not even just south asian but i haven't you know south asian group do or not just south asian but non-black poc communities do the same thing that the black community and black revolutionaries have done for other people um but yeah it's just been one of the things i thought it for me no i haven't found any tamil or south asian revolutionaries that i feel like yeah I've been and I think it's also the fact that I don't speak Tamil which really you know gets on my nerves that I can't because if I couldn't I feel like I could reach a wider audience but you know I think the language barrier makes it hard for me to even understand what you know those movements are about but for me I've been satisfied with what I've learned from black revolutionaries and you know you've got Marcus Garvey you've got you know powerful people like Malcolm X and even like for example like um Malcolm X that famous speech like um the who taught you to hate yourself speech although you know it was directed specifically for the black community it's that question that I think I think every community can take something from that who taught you to hate yourself that question and that he asked that group that that audience with such conviction and I think I had never ever I've never still to this day I have never seen a a South Asian person talk the same way that I have seen with black revolutionaries the way like you know in that sense but yeah does that answer your question <laughs> I would like to believe that but that has to definitely answer the question yeah. so I think yeah it's not I'm not I'm not saying by the way I'm not saying that there isn't I just I personally in my life have have been inspired by um black revolutionaries oh wow and they've said thank you for your honesty we've got Another question in the question box, and I knew this individual was going to ask this because we were just talking about it. What's your opinion on council culture? 
bad obviously we would, i mean it's it's just so toxic and i think it's not only just about the act of not it's like you can to cancel someone is not even giving them space to better Ooh. themselves do you know what i mean i have not heard someone with that view for a very long time it's not giving them space to better themselves and educate themselves and you know the moment that you comment come at someone like that do you really think that if you were treated like that, that you would want to change? Of course not. You're more resistant to it. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. So people, all of these woke people, you're actually doing the worst thing possible for the, for, to encourage change because you're just cancelling someone. And it's like, wait a minute. What about, what, so when you do something like that, you have to turn it around and then be like, oh, so are you implying that you haven't even done anything wrong in your life? Because would you, do, would you have cancelled someone the same way that I mean like have you done the same kind of thing as that person and would you cancel yourself the same way that you cancel that person I think everybody is quick to judge when they live in a glass house yeah definitely unless you've that, and that's what, the older I've got and I'm only I'm going to be 25 but you know I believe in putting myself in other people's positions and you know when I have seen certain people be be cancelled about stuff you know certain things and obviously it's certain things I'm not you know some things like very problematic and you know if if for example i think if someone has been called out for that thing and hasn't apologized and hasn't held themselves accountable and continues with the problematic behavior that is different that's just like you know you're choosing to that's willful ignorance you're choosing to be ignorant and just completely put aside other people's feelings and how your actions are hurting someone else um that kind of you know that I think, yeah, it deserves to be cancelled. But but the actual, you know, the little things of like trolling people to the point where someone wants to go and, you know, do something harmful to themselves. That is, you know, I've, I've seen it happen through social media. And I think that's so scary. And, you know, I, uh, God forbid that anyone is in that position because it's not a nice thing to go through. But people should be held accountable. Like, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be held accountable. I'm just saying that, people need space to grow and there needs to be like forgiveness um understanding um but yeah that's what i think and we've got another question bang everyone's throwing it in the question box that's what i like do you think people in world culture has become increasingly um an empathetic Definitely. yeah yeah, definitely. It's you know what it is. It's about being self righteous because every all of a sudden everyone's become like More you know pariahs. Yeah, and it's just like you know it reminds me of like it literally reminds me of like you know back when because I was brought up Christian. It reminds me of all of these church people. You know, yeah, most of them wanting to they, they remind me of church people the way that you know they go around whole you you all in your fancy gear with your head held high, looking down on everyone that yeah. has done something or you heard a rumor. Yet when uh, you know behind closed doors they're doing the most fucked up shit the, what, which what you find out it's like all of us have made mistakes you know some of us unfortunately had those mistakes be recorded through social media and we can't take that back and some of us you know all of different things happen and i think that like i said people have become so self-righteous and there's this there's this thing of having to prove like you know proving yourself to be even being being woke has become a trend now. It's like, oh, you know, proving yourself like, oh, I'm so woke, I'm going to, you know, and having, um, being more concerned about not looking racist rather than actually actively being anti-racist themselves. So performative think, activism yeah. versus conscious activism. 
yeah and you know you need to have empathy you need to have you know understand that people are capable capable of change and if you can't give people that space again if you if you keep on reminding someone you did this you did this even after they said sorry even after they held themselves accountable even after they have shown that they have progressed and are only doing good till now if you keep on just saying oh but do you remember that time but do you remember that time then people are gonna be like you know what i'm just gonna fall back into my own ways not just that or just be like I can't, it will lead people to do things that will harm themselves. People need I, to take a good look at themselves. I think it's a very good point. And because we've got 10 minutes left, um, we've got a few more questions. But the quick point I'm going to make is, it's very much that idea of you haven't forgiven them. And if you don't forgive them and you keep them in that trauma mm-hmm. of what they've done, how are they going to ever really effectively forgive themselves if they genuinely mm-hmm. want change? So we can both agree in response to that question, woke culture and cancel culture can be incredibly toxic at times. And I think the culture has to be a bit more empathetic. I think, as you said, Malcolm Mm -hmm. X, he said that don't be mad at somebody for what they don't know for effectively you were that person once upon a time ago. And we've got another question, which is, what do you think is effective allying? Um, What do I think is effective allying? Um, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, Sean? What do you think it is? Oh God, you're one of the few people that's asked me this question. Um, you know, interestingly, I think my opinion comes from a very Pan-African view. Um, when you said that you can't be mad at people when the table was never built for you, and I think Audrey Lord said it best that the master's tools can never dismantle the master's house. You have to effectively build your own. And I'm Pan-African in the sense of I believe for a people we have to do for ourselves and nobody else can do. I think if I was to answer it, what is effective ally? And I think it's, again, it's the idea of listening, being willing to expose yourself to uncomfortable truths and perhaps to challenging narratives that you were once raised on. And um, I had to go through that myself if I was going to perform allyship for other people around me, especially because I don't understand everyone's experience. But Mm. I'd say to me, it's just listening learning, mm. getting ready to get a little bit uncomfortable because nothing beautiful grows in your comfort zone. Mm. What about yourself? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I was looking at, you know, Asia Barber. She, um, everyone should go and follow Asia Barber. Um, she's like a writer and like she talks a lot on like um, race issues. And she, she made a point um, talking about like, make your uncomfortability normal. Oh. Um, yeah and when she said that i thought that was that's so important to actually stop being like uncomfortability shouldn't be like oh it's a one-off thing no because this whole conversation shouldn't be comfortable that's the whole problem because we're too comfortable in what is already happening we need to be uncomfortable as possible but also taking that uncomfortability and using it to actually learn and listen and understand that you know what you have not just you have done but like you know understanding me as a non-black person of color is understanding my how you know my own privileges and using what i have learned to also then go into my own communities and teach them to be better people and allies um to the black community and essentially for me it's about um you know as like white people and non-black people of color need to go underneath the black community and lift them until that they're at the same position because it's about 
equity not equality it's about equity because it's about not you know it's not they're already on that platform there they're here so therefore we need to be under here and lift them up to the highest and make sure that they can you know do things in there like it's like for example like even um you know uh spending in the black community that is helping them build themselves economically we need to be able to help them build them because this this issue that has come about is not black people's fault or their problem and it's something that has benefited us so we need to do everything in our power to make sure that black people are brought to that level and you know part of that is listening understanding and supporting them in every single way that we can and holding yourself accountable for the past um you know things that you've done and bettering yourself from it we're gonna take uh, one more question. Let's see. We've got this one. How can we as a society achieve POC solidarity? Um, for solidarity to happen, I think it. there's a lot of... For me, I found that the Black community, especially Black women, have been so welcoming and have their arms open to everyone, like, to yeah. a point where, you know, for me, I've seen it like this. It's like... And I... Uh, it's like this, yeah. It's like, you know, like, I'll, I'll use black women as the example. They have opened up their arms to so many different people and uplifted so many different communities of people. And those communities wouldn't even do the same back to them. And yet they're still willing to do, to open their arms and their kindness to people. And I just think that that th this issue again because it's not the issue affects black people the most therefore non-black people of color need to be able to address their privileges needs to look at the like i said intersectionality is what is going to give us progress understand although you know you're a black person and i'm a brown person we can you know there's this umbrella term of putting us as people of color but like i said our experiences are not the same Even because the i still benefit made. from yeah and even i think even now like people of color is not being used i think that's why i use by poc bi poc because it's also an intersectional term of so bi stand for oh black indigenous people of color okay. so it's okay. yeah so basically it's saying that like black and indigenous people um have a completely different experience to just people of color you know it's kind of like addressing the intersectionalities of their identities that will privilege them or um oppress them so yeah it's like i said intersectionality is going to be what is going to give us pro change the world and progress because even as people of color we can't all identify our experiences the same like even within my community a light-skinned south asian person couldn't compare couldn't just compare their experience to mine because they still benefit from having lighter skin or being in proximity to whiteness because of their white skin so, you know, adjusting those little things and, you know, that's, that's the problem. I think a lot of non-black people of colour, you know, there are the few that are actually starting to address that, yes, there is a difference and there is, we are, we benefit from the oppression of black people. But then there's also so many people in, you know, going into my community and family members that think, oh, you know, well, oh, why, why haven't our issues been raised the same way that black people has? And, oh, well, you know, we're oppressed too and not realizing how much privilege there is when they even making statements like that and not even addressing the anti-blackness that is so ingrained in our communities. Mm. So um, is that a good answer? Like, is that, does that make sense? Cause I feel like I talk about so many different things at one time and just- I think- <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, yeah. 
I think they're definitely um, happy with that. And I think we've got five minutes left. We've um, This is the longest live that I've done. And I think when you just look at the comments and the engagement, the interactions, yeah. people have certainly taken away a lot and connecting my audience with your audience, you know, people are going to walk away with so much here to unpack and to learn. Um, and I want to ask you quickly, I'm going to ask you just a few quick fire questions. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any books that you would recommend to people to read, to learn? Um, wait a minute. So I was read. what I'm, do I have any books? Do I just have to be books per se or could I like, could oh, it, it just can be, be anything? Exactly? It can be anything. Um, I, I just ask just, books because I like reading. Okay, books, but I just think, just in general, I think people should, um, and I'm pretty sure there's so many books out there on this movement, but people should look up the Harlem Renaissance movement. Yeah. Uh, because it, I only came across it when I was maybe, maybe between like 17, 18. So it was like a, a black arts and cultural movement that kind of started from like 1918 to, that went until the 1930s. And just learning about um, just the beautiful black arts and uh you know culture and um just these like really important individuals that came out of that movement and also a majority of them also being queer black people and how um and a lot of people don't realize this but how actually um ballroom culture stemmed from um the harlem renaissance era and the queer scene and stuff like that so just look up that because i just think it's so important just to you know just get yourself in touch with black culture and history because it's not just for me it's not just about you know it's as much as it's also very important to learn about the oppression of black people and systematic oppression of black people and how it's affected them today it's also so vital and important to remember that black people gave us all the joys in life which is music and art and everything that we enjoy and learning about all of these individuals that contributed the joy that we have today so Look it up. <laughs> um, we have questions, but as I said, that you know, we're both we've been going for an hour and thirty minutes. Another question mm -hmm. I gotta ask you really quickly yeah. is um what does the future hold for you? What does the future hold for me? Um I hope that I don't know, I mean what I want to do with my life or anything, whatever comes to anything. mind. I mean, you know what? The more I think about it, I really just it's so simple. I really just want to be financially stable for one. Um, and, you know, be around more black and brown people with, you know, same mindsets as me, not just black and brown people, but allies as well with same mindset as me and have the same goal and to be able to create content and, um, you know, produce beautiful content that represents all black and brown people and do the best that I can with the privilege that I have to do so. And also hopefully, have enough money to actually start putting money into the community. So, yeah. And what can people do to support you on your own journey as well in um, solidarity with the black movement? Um, with, with what people can, say that again, sorry. Uh, what can people do to um, support you in solidarity with the black movement? And I think- even your own community's movement? Um, I mean, you know, I'm constantly posting up so many people that it's not just me. Like, I'm, I also believe in putting on people. Like, I, I call it put on culture because I think that should yeah. be a thing. We yeah. should, you know, as 
someone with a platform i'm i i'm constantly sharing so many amazing black and brown um content creators and like you know uh, and i just think just you know follow them as well it's not just about following me follow them because i'd like to think that if you guys trust me enough i'm going to put you on to some great people so um yeah just follow keep supporting and you know listen to me <laughs> listen to me um yeah that's what i can say no but definitely i think Again, I've got to say on behalf of everyone here, I believe this has been one of the most informative and one of the most powerful lives. And I think, again, you can Thank tell you. that by the comments, the questions people have asked. Honestly, I think I'm really thankful you've made the time to jump on no, this live. And, um, I was so nervous, though. I was so nervous. I was thinking, like, because sometimes I get so nervous, even if it's a live, even though there's not like an audience, it's knowing that there's so many eyes absolutely. on you. Um, and just sometimes I also like forget things and I still and I also like I think there's that part of me because I'm not an academic everything that I've learned is from my own experiences and what I've you know taught myself so sometimes I feel like I'm not always the best at articulating myself but um, I've really enjoyed this and I'm glad that people have taken away something <laughs> most definitely and um, if there's anyone even yourself or anyone watching wants me to interview and question send them my details or I'll reach out to them. And that's for yourself mm -hmm. too, Shira. If there's anyone that you think would be great for this, I'll be more than happy to ask them questions, you know, as long as they're willing to be accessible and so on. But um, I just want to say thank you. And I think mm -hmm. people have to check out your work. And again, I've got to say this to people. I've saved the first live. I'm going to be saving the second one. So it's always going to be available on my page. Share, comment, repost, like, support Shira's work as well because the work you're doing is quite pivotal. And I thank you for everything that you're doing for the black no, community, especially in this time, you know? I'm really appreciative of it. And I no, think- you know what? Please don't even thank me. Like when people do say, even when I get like um, black people thank me, I'm like, this is literally, I have to do this. Like I said, yeah. it's a moral obligation for every uh, white and non-black person of color to be doing this. Like this is not even something that should be thanked. It should be, we should be doing this because it's the right thing to do because it's the human thing to do seeing another person suffer and their suffering also benefiting us is not something that should even sit well with any of us so you know i have to do it you have to do it <laughs> i think that says a lot about you as a human and um we need more people like you in the world so and um, with that we've been at it for an hour Thank and you. 30 minutes <laughs> it's been it's been powerful and um, as I said, check out Shira's work, check out my work, share, repost and just lock in. We've got more guests and hopefully in the future we can do a part two as well because um, I always ask people to do a part two because people grow and as you said, we're not the same person today than we, as we will be in the future. So definitely, I'm looking forward to a part two. Yeah, definitely. I'll be looking forward. Who knows what can happen? No, for, Who sure. Knows? <laughs> for sure. So I want to say thank you and... Um, yeah, everyone to what that everyone to everyone that's watched. Thank you very much for tuning in and engaging. So, we definitely both got to rock off now. Yep. Bye, we'll everyone. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Right, bye. bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow, and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing. That is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.